What is the greatest thing in the world? It is people, it is people, it is people. Inga mana inga reo inga kārangaranga maha o te motu, nau mai anō ki te wāhanga o tēnei ahiahi pō. Ko te ahikā, our weekly show looking at nga kaupapa Māori, Māori stories. This week, when it comes to discussion about Indigenous peoples, there's a common thread, a shared value for retention of the culture that encompasses land, language and waiata. I put together this initiative um, of a choir to generate more work for our artists. Nice. So every, all the 12 members in the choir are individual performers, singers, musos in their own right. Just seen with a couple of members of Skin Choir that's coming up later on. A few weeks ago, we spoke about a new series where we're starting profiling Māori and what they do. This week, actor-director Maria Walker joins us. As too, includes designer, revamper, customiser, Miriamo Grace-Smith. That's what's coming up in this edition of Te Ahika. While for some the date of 14th of February is one of Rose's chocolate and romantic dinners, how about something that's a bit more meaningful, empowering, and powerful? We're talking about One Billion Rising. The event created and driven by activist and playwright Eve Ensler, she of Vagina Monologue fame. It's where women worldwide and the men who love them are invited to dance, shout, rise up on that date and rally against violence directed at girls and women everywhere. Another way of supporting is by buying and then performing Eve Ensler's Vagina Monologues, which is what a group of Wahine Māori in Auckland did. I spoke with director Maria Walker earlier this week about their upcoming performances. If I got stressed out, I think that would just have a ripple effect on the cast. So I am quite calm. Yeah, surprisingly. I know you and your capacity as an actress, but you also do directing work as well. Well, this is actually the first time that I've ever done it. And what's it like? I, ooh, being my behind. Hats off, yeah. My hat's off to directors. I had no idea how how engrossing it is, and how <laughs> intense, and how you have to manage and allocate, and you just got to be on point all the time. I'm just. I think that's why I'm so calm because I'm so exhausted. Right. Mentally, I'm just fatigued. But I love it. I'm. A, it's quite. I think it'll be a new obsession which I'm quite looking forward to, <laughs> seeing where it goes. Now, the Māori Vagina Monologues. So, Vagina Monologues is the series of monologues that was written by Eve Ensler. Mm-hmm. And as part of the Fringe Festival in Auckland, you're directing the Māori Vagina Monologues. Yeah. We've actually changed the title. It's still the Vagina Monologues. I, I thought it might cut people out a little bit and... Um, 
that we might be targeting a specific audience where it's, you know, it's women across the broad. So it's now the vagina monologues with an all wahine Māori cast just to uh, shift that. And who are they? They are Roy Mata Fox, who went to the Globe last year for Trollis and Cressida, and she's absolutely stunning. She's done a, a few pieces of work here, there and everywhere. There's also Tansy Hayden, who was a graduate of Tuifakari of 2008. Aroha Rawson, who currently works for MTS. And there is Topana Kohe Toka, who was an IMTV presenter, but she's left that behind and she wants to venture into a, a really intense thespian lifestyle, which is theatre. <laughs> which means not much money. <laughs> which means none. So she's going to get a shock to the system. She's currently really unwell because she's um, also rehearsing another play at the same time during the day and then we get her at night time, so... She's doing so well. I, for me personally, she's a standout. She's just, she's absolutely wonderful. So, Oh, and Tracy Tafiel. Yes, <laughs> my beautiful friend who is artist, poet, designer. I mean, she does everything. She's so maternal and having her on board in the final piece of the show just signs everything off and she helps create this world that's just, she, she ends it and, and she carries it and she's so strong, so... Yes, so for those it. who may not be familiar with vagina monologues, um, it usually involves wahine sitting down, sitting on a stage and exchanging stories. Yeah? Yes. About? Dare I say it, the vagina. Um, and it's it's so diverse. She took, Evie Inslaw took 200, she made 200 interviews and she... She chose these 12 monologues and um, has put them on. So they're from women from Bosnia, women from the Mississippi, women from, um, I think, English women. And we've picked up certain clues out of the monologues and, and adapted them to our own voice, so to speak, um, with the performers individually. So we've tried to lay a bit of a claim on it in our own country just by changing certain titles and... Um, but the way these uh, actresses are performing them through and through, inherently we know that they are Māori because, I mean, half are so stunning and they're so strong and so proud. So naturally the adaptation that we've got is just sort of settled into their own skin and it's um, only one of the actresses is actually sitting down. <laughs> uh, the rest of the actors are actually up on their feet and moving around and really entertaining the audience. Is it awkward? Is it awkward? Yeah. Um, not for me. <laughs> I mean, I've had a great time. It's hilarious. It's so funny. It's so dry. The rehearsals have just been so awesome. Everybody's just lost the plot here, there and everywhere. And we've just had such a ruckus of a time getting our mouth around this text. And the monologues are huge. And some of them are really, really small and, and intimate. But um, there is an intensity to it. But the way that we're... well. The way I want to, to show these monologues is to play against um, all the sort of heavy layers that does exist in most of these monologues. So, I guess uh, a question I have is, all right, so... Well, there's a couple of questions. So the bigger, wider issue around the monologues is that from that Eve... Ensler created the V-Day campaign, eh? Mm-hmm. 
and it's the 15th anniversary of that that took place earlier this week on the 14th of Feb, and that's the One Billion Rising. Yep. Now this is this performance is aligned with that, isn't it? Yes. A percentage of the ticket sales are going directly to the One Billion Rising, One Billion Rising campaign. Yep. And could you explain what the One Billion Rising campaign's about? It is uh, basically to serve women that are in um, volatile and violent relationships. So, I mean, they will do with the money what they will, um, whether they place it to certain specific charities aimed at helping women or um, naturally for these campaigns, they cost money as well. So we basically pay for the script and um, get Eve Enslaw's famous work and the permission to do so. And generally, 100% of the ticket sales are then given over to One Billion Rising, the campaign. This was uh, Aroha Rawson's impetus to um, be involved and to support that campaign. So um, basically, all I know is no one's getting paid and we're doing it for the pure joy of it and to to support um, women ultimately as well. I think it hit a chord with me just because there's a lot of Māori women specifically going through a lot of you know, hardship and, and poverty, especially in Auckland, um, in the sort of outer regions. So initially I, I had no no qualms in saying yes to the project, especially because there's no money, funnily enough. So we're doing it for the pure love of it. So the bigger kaupapa is that this event highlights how the 14th of February event, which is the One Billion Rising, which is aimed at all women throughout the world who are affected by violence. Yeah. Yep, standing up and dancing on the 14th <laughs> as well. So in the spirit of that, and this isn't to take anything away from that, it's an all wahine Māori cast. What has, what's preventing Māori women from writing their own stories around Absolute. this issue. I mean, is this then privileging other stories other than our own? Uh, to a certain degree, it is privileging other stories. Yeah, you're right. But we have all, you know, discussed this amongst ourselves. And I think this Vagina Monologues has actually given us um, sort of the know-how and the structure of theatre and staging and design and putting on a show to actually encourage us to do our own. It's something we've all talked about, it, the actresses and myself. Um, a little glimpse into that is we, we were considering doing the breast show ever. So we'd be targeting it at, clearly at the, at the breasts and sort of issues around pregnancy and things like that. But there is absolutely nothing stopping us from having our own monologues, our own dialogue. And yeah, we're getting there. We, we're starting as a, as a small company to think about those think about why we are we are not uh, laying claim to our own our own monologues. Because so you know we have very strong stories ourselves, yeah. and we're very that involve strong. the vagina and yeah. within the Maori world. Yeah, we 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 just I think we've needed to do this in order to give ourselves a bit of strength in order to now have our own dialogue. Also, time has been a huge issue. Um, but it's definitely on the cards. Like I, I'm really keen to to start um, our own work um, and, and projecting other voices. And, and I don't think it's a that we would actually 
conduct interviews. I think we would just individually talk about them, and I'd probably try and get as many um, actresses on board as I could. But we'll just see how that goes. It's um, something to definitely think about. Actresses aren't the only ones with vaginas, though, eh? No, well, we have a poet and we have a musician that we've brought in, um, Mary Campbell, who uh, is also a mother herself. She She's our musical composer, and um, I did get her to write a small piece and to translate it into a song about the vaginas, so uh, she's done a wonderful job. So we're starting small, but we're thinking big, so... Watch the space. Watch the space, hard. Yeah. All right, so tell me about yourself. Well, I graduated from Tuifakati in 2008 after studying at Te Wananga o Aotearoa in Porirua under Oli Mayave. He instructed me to go and see a play, which was by Nina Nawalawala called Vula. And at the end of that piece, I couldn't get out of my chair. The whole theatre was empty, and I just was so touched by what I saw and moved that I decided that I was going to go to drama school and do theatre, work in theatre. And since graduation, you know, I've dabbled in a few pieces. Uh, the Prophet by Hornikoka was also another piece before going to drama school where I just, the movement and the basketball involved in that piece and working with an all Māori cast who had also graduated from Toifakari like Miriam McDowell, Mark Rooker, Jared Rawari and Jason Takari, I was in such awe. So going to drama school was the catalyst, really, and that was three years. And since then, I've just been predominantly focusing on film and TV because it pays the bills. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's so challenging. It comes with its pressure and its intensity. I just There's an addiction in it for me. I love the heightened focus and... I've been doing it ever since. Um, the most recent project was Mount Zion, and that was under Tiarapakahi, uh, and his direction oh, it was just, it was so easy. He speaks street. He speaks the same language as me, so uh, it was a beautiful piece, and Sam Walker was the lead, Timoida Morrison, and I played a character who, who was very, very intense and had been through some um, emotional hiccups in her young life, and... It's just an addiction I have to playing those stories. If they're so heartfelt, I just get so drawn and compelled to them, and I, I can't seem to stop, which you, is great. Do you have a fear of being typecast? Um, I used to have that fear. I really did, and I, I sort of started to think, oh, I'm, I'm glad that my last name could be English or Māori, but... Because of the work that I've done of late, I'm not boxed anymore. So I initially was really boxed, and I, I only got auditions for Māori roles and Māori characters. But um, it's actually gone now, and I'm, I'm lining up uh, among other Pākehā women, and we're all going for the same piece. Um, yeah, because I think I've proven, in a sense, that I don't that I can't be boxed, I think, because um, we all have to be extremely adaptable and malleable. And, um, yeah, I've really been working to get out of that box. So, Do you think it's possible to do that with an Aotearoa? Do you need to head overseas like Cliff Curtis? I have um, done some overseas projects in New Zealand that haven't boxed me in as being a Māori. Um, Jane Campion shot a series down in Queenstown and... 
um, I, I mean, it's really hard because on the screen, I clearly, I, I look identifiably Māori to New Zealand people, but... I don't anywhere know, I was, else you yeah, could be. anywhere else. Exactly. Else. Mm. Exactly. So, um, for example, in, in the piece down in Queenstown, I I made my New Zealand accent as, you know, as sort of fresh as possible, like that I was from out west, actually. So <laughs> I just, I fool around with, with stuff like that, especially with dialogue, and I'm a really good mimic. But, um... Currently, I'm auditioning for pilot season, and my American accent is flawed, and I have to redo an audition today, for example. But um, I'm hoping that the New Zealand productions that I've been involved in will carry me to a, a bigger audience and hopefully open the market up for me that way instead of going to LA and lining up like cattle, like everybody else. So I would love to follow in Cliff Curtis's footsteps, but um, he's just a... He's just—he's a martyr. He's a—he's a—he's in a, a level of his own. Who's just—he's untouchable. And who knows if I get to that level, I'd love it. Maria Walker, is there anything you wouldn't do in acting? Like, I guess you get asked this at pilot season: Will you take your clothes off? Will you have sex scenes? I mean, is there any? I mean, I'm just thinking of extremes here. But is there anything that you're not prepared to do? Um. Roles aside, I mean, I have, I have done those scenes. I've done nude scenes, sex scenes, and I'm I'm quite comfortable in my own skin, so that's not an issue for me. The issue is, I think, selling out my private story behind um, the facade of what I'm projecting as a story. I, I I find it very, even though I'm having this interview with you right now, I you know I can barely post anything on Facebook. I can. That's what I don't do. I don't. I I, I try not to publicise my personal personal life if, if that makes sense in terms of acting i think the villainous dark roles the the seated all sorts are just so so um they're so cool to play that <laughs> i just i would never be specific to as to not try anything once what's the best thing about being maori the best thing about being maori um Oh, directing the vagina monologues and working with the all Māori cast, the thing that carries us, the thing that carries us in, for me in productions and films and from adverts to theatre is our personality, our humour, our lax behaviour about it, the the dynamic relationships we have with each other that we just, we barely have to say anything but we just understand. You know, like that support, that camaraderie, like that's the best thing. When you're making a piece of work together... And you're, it's solidly focused on the world of the piece of what you're creating. There's 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 no room for for ego or arrogance or you know if you're a fat do you, head. Do you not um, necessarily get that with non-Māori yes, actors? Oh, you get that with Māori and non-Māori, I think. But actors in general, we uh, I think a lot of people, you know, always think we're dramatic. But you know, but it's just drama. Oh, oh, drama! Exactly. <laughs> we bring the drama. But you know, the one thing about actors is that we are such great company. You know, we 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 roll with the punches. We we get hit. You know, on a daily, we get we get rejected on a daily. We and we just have to stomach it. And it's like the the 
thicker skin, the tougher you are, I mean, those are the people that survive in the game. And those people in the game that have been around for however long that are still doing it, it's because they are just resilient and they are just like water off a duck's back. And oh, the actors in Auckland especially and in Wellington I just love because we're just, to a certain degree, we're loose because you have to be to stick around. I mean, that's... And especially with Māori actors, that's what I love. They just... They've all got, you know, a lot of people have families and they just support, you know. It's like bringing bread to the table as an actor is not always easy, but we just, we're survivors, so we just get on with it. And I love that. If you had to describe yourself, what would you, how would you describe yourself? Um, <laughs> I would say I'm very emotional. Um, I cry at everything and anything. Even if I'm reading a, a book, I'll bore my eyes out, watch a movie, so... I think that helps as an actor, so I'm very emotional. Um, I'm also, I think I'm quite risky. I love taking huge risks and I love trying new things out and I I love making big mistakes, falling over and I've grazed my leg completely or I've, you know, gashed my internal soul or something and I still have a resilience for it. So I love, I love risking, I love trying new things um, and I'm definitely very intense. <laughs> about myself forever <laughs> so <laughs> um but it's it's good it works i'm it, feeling it, I'm I'm feeling it. <laughs> but it, it works as an actor it's like it's You're the like... only it's the only job where we can be like really over the top or you know crying one minute on the floor and then passionate about something you know a moment later and just rolling with the punches like that working moment to moment in intensity i mean i love that what I do you whanau think of this? Oh, they're so proud. They're so proud. They, you know, they've 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 also since graduation in two thousand and eight. They've also encouraged me not to act anymore. <laughs> 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 they've also kept it very real. Like, I don't ask my parents for money, but I know that they know I want to. But mm. I'm never going to. You know, so they worry so much. They worry so much. But I mean, my parents are beautiful. My whole family's beautiful. Basically, they're very used to me giving a text and a call now to be like, oh, watch this, you know, do that. Oh. And they're so, they're so proud, but I still think they'd all prefer me to get a real job. <laughs> Say you're invited back to your old secondary school to give a cordial about, you know, one of those inspirational, here's a success story cordial. What would you say? I'd probably cry. <laughs> To start off with, I did that the other day. I sat down with Tiwanango Aotearoa students in Auckland, out in Manukau, I think. And I was there as a casting assistant. A casting company was looking for actors, and um, I didn't realise where we were going until we got there. And I got so emotional. And I, all I remember doing is trying to encourage people to, especially the Māori, because they were all Māori, all the actors in this performing arts group were Māori, and I just remember encouraging everyone to just go hard. But I also made the realities very clear that there's no such thing as celebrity, really, and it's going to be extremely hard work. Well, not here. Yeah, well, not here, not here. But I just, I remember going, if you're into it, then you just got to follow your instincts about it and... Yeah, I got very emotional. I was so proud. Um, 
But I, I just encourage people to educate themselves about all the art that we're surrounded by. I think if I was to go back to my primary school, I'd, I'd just encourage people to read more and to stay away from action flicks and watch more drama and and to support the arts a lot too and to just really get involved and, I don't know, draw, paint. I'd probably talk about everything and anything to do with art. Yeah. And just finally, who's influenced you the most in your life to date? Hmm. Hmm. I think who have influenced me have been people that are a lot older than me who have actually just encouraged me or given me a a helping hand kind of thing, uh, sort of a foot in the door every now and again because their belief in me and belief in a talent has carried me. I, you know, Ollie Maiav is one of them. From He was my very first drama tutor. Uh, Nina Nawalawala was my very first director. Rachel House, another director who's just phenomenal. Um, and the last director I worked for, Te Arapakahi, who was just so inspired. He was very, very easy to understand. And uh, I just loved his vision of his work, Mount Zion. So to date, it's generally been directors and teachers that are older than me and that have been around longer and who have a body of work that have encouraged me and inspired me to, to just keep going. Kia ora, Maria Walker, nor Ngāti Kahununu. Links to the One Billion Rising campaign and a review of last night's performance can be found on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. And remember, you can always check us out on Facebook. Love hearing from you. And you can email us at teahika at radionz.co.nz. I'm Mariah Rakraku. And I'm Justin Murray, and this is Te Ahika. Te Ahika, Radio New Zealand National. It was during a music expo in Melbourne 2012 that Toy Māori, that's an organisation that promotes Māori arts both here and abroad, met with the Songlines Aboriginal Music Corporation, a group of Indigenous artists and performers based out of Melbourne. And at that event, as with any social function really, relationships were formed and connections were made and a seed was sown to form a trans-Tasman cultural and music exchange. Which is why a choir of Indigenous, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, Skin Choir, crossed over the ditch to Aotearoa. And it was a jam-packed schedule with the choir performing at the Papatumarewa Museum and Pātaka Museum, Pūrirua.
Jesse, um, I just mentioned to you that in Te Ao Māori here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, we have iwi hapu, or um, a, it's really about essentially a connection to a particular area geographically where our, essentially our blood ties or our tūpuna, our ancestors are from. Is, that, is there something similar in, in your culture? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, with, um, with my family, uh, we're uh, connected to North Queensland and the Torres Strait Islands. I'm a Queenslander, that's where my family's from, and um, my, uh, my grandmother is a Kogemujir, um, which is uh, up the top of Queensland, around Cooktown, Cairns area, and um, my grandfather's from the Torres Strait Islands. But um, uh, um, a long time ago, a lot of the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people got moved to a place called Palm Island in North Queensland, and so they had a lot of mix sort of families and everything there, yeah. So you were raised with your grandparents? Uh, uh, that's, yeah, no, my, my, well, well, just that's where they're from, through the grandparents, but raised by, uh, raised by my, my family, just, yeah, with my aunties and my mum and all that. City life or kind of more of a rural? A city, uh, I've city. moved around heaps of places. Yeah. Um, I spent, I've been three years in Melbourne and I spent the last 12 before that in Perth. I did a lot of work with music in Perth um, and before that, um, I was living in New South Wales, in country New South Wales, and, and lived in Adelaide as well. So, been around a bit. So, um, Jesse, tell us why um, you and I, I believe there's about half a dozen of you that came from... Yes, there's six of us, but yeah. there's 12 in the whole group. 12 in the whole group. Yeah. Why are you here in Aotearoa? Oh, um, Toi Māori invited us over. Toi Māori. Um, we met them um, in Melbourne at the Australasian World Music Expo. In November, and it was um, it was we performed at a, an event put on by Tina Waru, um, who's um, Maori living in Melbourne, and her event was called Flavors of Aotearoa, and um, so they invited us to sing there because we're sort of you know the locals yes. um, at a Maori event, and um, yeah, and and these guys from Wellington saw us and invited us here um, and, and as a beginning of a long-term cultural exchange relationship so we're really excited about it and um, looking forward to you know the next few years of getting to know each other and working on projects and you know and, and, and exchange across the Tasman really. Songlines, the initiative project, Songlines. Okay, well, um, I run an organisation in Melbourne called Songlines Aboriginal Music Corporation and about a year or two ago, uh, oh, 
a, a year ago, a year ago tomorrow, actually, uh, tomorrow is our one year anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. I think we're going to go watch the rugby tonight. Cool. <laughs> um, I put together this initiative um, of a choir to generate more work for our artists. Nice. So every, all the 12 members in the choir are individual performers, singers, musos in their own right. Um, <clears throat> and just with my work um, putting on events or programming festivals or partnering with other festivals who want Indigenous content, um, it was just a way of getting more musos, more gigs, really. Cool. Um, so instead of booking one artist for a half an hour spot, I've got 12 with through the choir. So it's just, you know, I thought this would be a good way to get more people involved and just generate more work for everyone. Um, but the theme behind Skin um, came about because a couple of years ago there was, um, in Australia, there was an anti-discrimination case going. Um, a, a quite high-profile radio personality, um, mainstream radio personality in Australia, his name's Andrew Bolt. He was taken to court by a few members of the Indigenous, high-profile members of the Indigenous community because he was questioning their Aboriginality on the darkness of their skin. And this is, this is Australia. This is... So the more darker you are, the more... Aboriginal and the more cultural, yeah, and the more um, eligible right. you are for whatever services or, you know, ticking the boxes. And, um, yeah, I mean, Australia is very... We've got a lot of blinkers on, and, um, and it's interesting that, that, that we were really surprised that this was happening. And because this guy was such a high-profile radio personality, he'd get on his mic on national radio and Shock, start... Shock, yeah, yeah, and start talking about, you know, all of these fair-skinned Aboriginal people who, um, you know, they don't need to claim they're Aboriginal, so why are they playing the card? They just want to get their free house and free car, which is, of course, not true, and just created this hype that the rest of Australia didn't know any better and jumped on the bandwagon. In 2009, columnist and blogger Andrew Bolt wrote two articles named It's So Hip to Be Black and White Fellas in the Black published online and in print by the Herald Sun, Melbourne. Both articles suggested that the shade of skin colour of Aboriginal people equated to how Aboriginal they are. He mentioned prominent Indigenous people in the articles, many of whom would then lead a federal court case claiming that Bolt's writing was a breach of the Racial Discrimination Act. On September 28, 2011, the Federal Court found there was a breach of 18C of the Act. On October, the Federal Court Judge, Morty Bromberg, ordered a corrective notice explaining why the articles contravened the Racial Discrimination Act, both in print and online. The debacle is the reason behind the group's name. Yeah, so that's why we're called Skin, because we're all different shades. You know that was sort of the, the that's the theme of our message, and it's it's about identity, it's about diversity, and you know it's all we're all from different areas of the country, and um, but we're still you know practicing our culture, you know, in urban areas, and uh, we're just as Aboriginal as as any other person. I feel like we're breaking new ground with nice. doing this through music, and we've got you know a few little quirky comedy songs in there that people get a <laughs> laugh and. You know, an, an, an easy way of delivering that message of um, modern Aboriginal culture, this is who we are and it's not what you see on 
TV in the deserts. But the you know. didgeridoo and yeah, exactly. And you know, we don't live like that in the city. It doesn't mean that we're not Aboriginal though. And and you know, it was all it's always happening in a on a on a more government and, and corporate level as well. Where you know, there's it's just like um, you know, the, the Aboriginal or and Torres Strait Islander people living in the cities is not as important as the ones out in the remote areas living at Uluru. You know, and it's right. just that it's a really strange thing and it's, 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 I feel like we're breaking new ground. We're sort of educating and we're creating a new, um, a, a new modern Aboriginal culture that um, people um, just don't know about yet until we sing and tell them about it. <laughs> So there's yourself, Jessie. Um, you mentioned um, six others that have come f- um, from Australia. Now, am I correct in saying that you're all Melbourne-based? Yep. Yeah, yep. you're all Melbourne-based. Yeah, yep. And how's your um, trip to New Zealand been for the past week or so? Yeah, well, I think this is our fifth day and we go home tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> it's been great. Um, Ananda from Toy Māori Arts um, has been an excellent host, cool. hostess and <laughs> taxi driver and <laughs> nice. feeding us and bringing coffees and yeah, and it's just been awesome to um, come and, and get to know everybody and get to know the place. Um, in Melbourne it can get really hectic and you go to these three-day music conferences and it's, you know, it's the hard sell and it's the hard network, but this has been awesome where it's just really comfortable and we're actually just getting to know everyone and um, settle in and, and go at a nice pace so it's more um, more sustainable and more, you know, more in-depth, you know, what, what we're trying to do here. Just in the past years in my work I've interviewed weavers or um, artists uh, from Australia a couple of years ago and, you know, just in talking about the language and the access to native plants for weaving. Mm. Um, when we're here at Pātaka, um, it's pretty hard going, you know, in terms of resources and, and, and language and yeah. nurturing the arts. I mean, do you have access to, say, funding easily in Australia? Um, yeah, yeah, the, the, the funding is there. I think what's, um, what the challenge is for us, and I don't know, it may have applied to you guys as well at some point, is access to that cultural knowledge. Um, and it, with Aboriginal culture, there well, it's not one culture. There's was there's two hundred different languages for a start, and well, probably about three hundred plus different tribes. So if you think of Europe and all the countries in Europe, yes. it's it's the same. So you, you'd go, you know, it might take you a couple of weeks to travel up to the next tribe, you know, up wherever, and it's a completely different culture. So mm. that the challenging thing for us is not only that we've had the misfortune of losing a lot of our culture through, you know, colonisation and the stolen generation, um, but one, cult, one, one culture information doesn't apply to everybody. Lisa Meza. Yes, hello. Kia ora, kia ora. Oh, thank you, kia ora. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Wellington. Well, um, it's day five for the group. Yes, yes, we came here on Tuesday. It's been a whirlwind tour. 
and it's been fabulous. We've had a gig every day. Every day? Yes. Whew. They've got us working. No, that's good. <laughs> they've been lo- quick gigs and they've been lovely gigs, all different and yeah. really, really enjoyable, really we went to a, a school yesterday. Oh, um, yes. How would that go? Oh, that was fantastic. Those kids were wonderful. I'm oh, sorry, I can't remember the name of the school. Whirlwind Tour. Yeah, yeah. Every so day. that's right. So, we, so we've done all these gigs and, and we're here today um, doing this gig. So, yeah, no, it's been, it's been wonderful. And the people who are looking after us have really, you know, taken care of us and, you know, shown us places and, and really made sure we, we, we felt welcome. And the thing is, like, the six of us who have come here, none of us have ever been to New Zealand. So what have you heard about our country? Have you heard anything good, oh, bad? Oh, well, actually, the people who I know who have been here have had a lovely time. Um, mostly, well, certainly in, in a kind of exchange way, I know that artists have come here before from Australia, yep. um, you know, visual as well as performing artists, and they have had an amazing experience and, you know, it's a, it's a really lovely kind of cultural exchange in regard to that. Your role within the um, Songlines Initiative, yeah. um, you're the chair. What's, yes. What does that entail? Well, be, being the chair of an organisation, you're actually responsible, which is something I learnt a bit later, actually. <laughs> I have been the chair for the organisation for a couple of years now. But um, you're actually financially responsible. As a board member of any organisation, you are responsible for, for, the, for the funding. Like, if, if, if the business goes bust, you actually... You can actually be sued. Liable. Yes, you are liable. That's the word. And um, so, so that's a kind of that's a big responsibility. And so, you know, you want to be a part of only a, a part of a board, be a board member if you actually really care about the organisation. There's really no point in being on it if you don't care what the organisation does, because you want to, you know, you want to really have an understanding or, you know, really pay attention to that stuff because it's as well as legally, it's it's about the health. We're there to look after the health of the organisation in every way, and that's just that's not just financially, of course, as well. But it's how it, what it does in the community, what our what our mission is in the community, you know. So that's um, that's something we concentrate on, and we have meetings besides the board meetings, you know, to try and figure out, you know, where where are we going, what are we here for. So, Lisa, you're uh, you're flying back home tomorrow. We are. So, how has the trip six been? Six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yes. Um, oh, the tr- well, it's been fantastic because we have been to all these places, and I felt like the response has been really great. You know, we've had all, all kinds of people come at the museum. That was that was a great audience because people just coming and going. You know, anyone's invited, <laughs> yeah. it's free. I didn't mind that though. It was a beautiful sound in in Tapapa. And um, Waitangi Day, you performed. Yes, we performed on Waitangi Day. That was the first gig, so that was out on the big stage, and everyone was just sitting there. They seemed to enjoy it. They were all sitting back, watching, listening, and um, but especially the school yesterday for me was just oh, these kids—they're just so beautiful and so. um, I don't know. There was a real ritual about the performance, even like they got up and you know someone speaks and mm. and then they all sing a song for us, and it just makes me want to cry. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a like, real emotion. Oh, it's so sweet. They're just lovely. And then that we got them to do things like they joined in. We taught them some singing and some nice, dancing, and nice. oh, they loved it. They were screaming, and you know, it was great. Fantastic. Kaitatuki Tira Lisa Meza. Yes. Uh, chair of the Songlines. Uh, Songlines. <laughs> and music. Also a choir member. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Okay.
Kia ora, Jesse Lloyd and Kim Mazza from Skin Choir. To check out some pictures and information about the group, go to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Hoko hoko. Anyone who knows me knows I hoko at the hoko hoko. And while those bargains are few and far between these days... For our next guests, every second-hand clothing item, be it shoes or leather jackets, has potential for some foresight attention. Which is the name of Miriama Grace-Smith and Utane Jack Cromie's business, Foresight Clothing. So how did the name Foresight... Come, come about? Um, foresight that came from I wanted the name to have meaning and um, uh, a lot of my stuff I, a lot of the because I do my own art as well my own contemporary art and um, it's important to me like a lot of it does have so meaning. Did you go to university? Yeah so I finished up at um, I did a BA in fine arts at Massey and finished up there and so I've just been just been a year now since I was there and um yeah the word foresight I was just looking at kind of the challenges of being an artist seven in the music and you know every aspect of yeah, yeah and, and having having a vision and yeah you know, just con- you're having kind of foresight constantly. you know seeing what you can achieve and I don't yeah. know trying just working towards it you know you having, having a goal I suppose a lot of the time you are having that foresight just believing you're going to get somewhere and just going for it Never knowing if it's going yeah, to happen. You, you've got to have a lot of self faith, you know, because yeah. you're sort of struggling a lot of the time when you're constantly just making art for the sake of it, you know, and not really getting paid much and all that kind of stuff. So you've got to have an end goal, I think. And, and it's all part and of so the like, artist fuck up, up of the way. Well, yeah, exactly. you know, have yeah. a bit of struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've got to struggle for your art, and isn't that what they just say? Just holding on <laughs> to that belief that you suffer for your art. And get there. Okay, so show me the clothes, man. Now, holy hell, can you kind of describe these to me? Like, um, those are some. Shall we start with those shoes? I mean, they're pretty serious. Aren't yeah, they? they're huge. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I was. I'm kind of looking into what um, people like, like styles and things. So describe the shoe to me. So, so this shoe is like to a my eyes. Yeah, so and this like is shoes. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> these are like what what girls like at the moment. Like what? Okay, so to my eyes, they're tranny shoes. So can yeah. we just describe them? That okay. is a wicked wooden, wooden heel. Yeah, so that's a really high heel, and it's kind of a, it's a boot, and um, well, it's like a booty. Yeah, booty platform, and me myself, I don't think I could. I would even last the night in these. But um, a lot of girls um, actually like these kind of shoes. So I was kind of, when I, I customised these, I was kind of just reaching out to what... So by customising, you take shoes of any style. Yeah. And you can... But the, the style to me, it kind of it has to be something that um, I know my customers would like. But um, with these, so they, these were just plain. I think they, they were black shoes. And then I've um, put a galaxy onto them. Yeah, the galaxy is pretty cool. Man. Yeah, so I've hand painted these. So these. is this leather? I is don't this... think they'll be leather. I mean, what is it like leather upper? Or... It's um, it'll be what? What's the that fake leather? Called? Patent leather. Yeah, patent. Yeah, 
So does that mean, Miriam, that you have to work with a certain type of material? Yeah. So the paint adheres? Yeah. So with these, um, you can buy... They do have leather paint, which is also for this type of material, but um, when I started customising clothing, I had to figure out what which mediums I would use and which would last. What made you want to start customising clothing? Um, what made me... So customise a clothing that has... Um, when I... Did you like hate clothes as they were and just started making around? Or... Um, when, I left, um, when I left uni, I... So I knew straight away that I wasn't going to make it um, as an artist straight away. That's basically what I thought. (laughs) So I kind of prepared myself leaving and thought, what can I do to make money when I left? So don't you mention that as a young artist, when you leave, you are going to be, you are going to struggle kind of thing. That's how it is, though. Yeah, and but they don't actually mention that at all, and kind of... Yeah, but you knew that, right? I, I mean, you come from a whanau. Yeah, I knew I that. Mean, both I, your parents and your... Yeah, I'd say I was more prepared for it than a lot of people were there. Do you think so, they give you proper tools to deal with the transition from being a student and learning, you know, and moving out into the real world and becoming a, becoming a successful artist? Do you think they help you bridge that gap successfully, or...? Uh, um no like <laughs> that's what i found uh, um they don't really talk to you about so what careers you could get other than, even, other than yeah, being an, an artist, artist. Yeah. yeah so like so how you can just apply that in a practical sense even working at like just get, painting portraits or something like that mm, how can you apply your art yeah like yeah, learning skills yeah. like making frames and things like, like set that design. yeah see like all those yeah. jobs that you could get when there was none of that that I found happened, but um, because unless you're discovered or selected yeah. by a major league gallery, yeah, yeah, uh, for a fresh student coming out of art school, it doesn't necessarily happen like that. Yeah, there's just like what one in a million or one in a, or it's New Zealand one in ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, and um, I was there at the time, like when it was ending. I already had in my mind what I was going to do because I was kind of basically preparing myself for it. Was that it was, yeah, it was, but at the same time, I didn't know that it was coming. Yeah. But they, <laughs> yeah, they, we have, um, sh- I have watched mum struggle to get where she is now, and it's so not easy. Who's your mum? Uh, Briah Grace Smith. And your dad? Um, Hamiona Grace, both, yeah, both of them just making sacrifices to get where they are, and um, all the hard work that goes into it. When we think about something like time, something we are within, something that is fully integrated into our day-to-day existence, our reasoning is shaped by the preponderance of our experience. Customised for myself, it's customised for others. 
so it's a way of bringing their ideas to life. And um, so I'm just looking at that. I've just been temporarily distracted by those huge tranny shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Your Polynesian feet can't squeeze the dog. <laughs> slenderer but can your feet squeeze into those um yeah i can force them in but i won't be comfortable for long i won't be comfortable at all like at all you can walk in make an impact and then take those suckers off man so you hand paint the design you talk to the client yeah so these ones i basically i these are just ones that i a lot of these here uh samples just yeah samples of what i've customized for myself really just well, just have for display to show people as well. Okay. But um, the is that waterproof? Ones, yeah, yeah. These are waterproof as well because I, I put a gloss over, okay. so they're protected. Could you chip away at it if you wanted to um, scratch it away? You know, just asking. <laughs> um, I think there will be um, there will be general wear and tear, like yeah, you know, because there's shoes and all stuff, all shoes and stuff, you know, get oh, scuffed yeah. and that kind of thing, but. It's pretty good, like that. That um, gloss lasts pretty, pretty good. Eh? It forms quite a thick layer, and it's definitely waterproof. It's yeah. pretty neat. I mean, if I was to describe that, those colours are kind of aqua pink. You know, like the colours of what the galaxy looks yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> the swirling cosmos on your feet. I mean, they are pretty bloody neat, man. <laughs> Okay, so that's one pair. It looks like you've glutified some others and sequenized a couple of other pairs. So, uh, there's a comic book shoes. Bit of. Oh my goodness! So they looks real like um, it's real comics that have been collaged on. Yeah. Onto your shoe and then sealed. Is that with Modge? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watch Podge is so magic. Yeah, I'd say that's one. Yeah, that's one medium of of discovered that I really enjoy is Mod Podge. You can do so much with it. These look amazing. So, can you describe that shoe? That shoe is basically the same as the other shoe that I had. The oh. tranny shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the same design, but um, on the shoe of of cut out colleges collage of um comic books of just cut them all up and then I that's the first layer I stick them on and then put Mod Podge over the top right and then I cut out the characters and also like um the little speech bubbles and things that they're saying and then that is so, so neat are these what popular yeah it's people comic. seem to like these oh it's comics eh yeah and Just then, wait till you start putting Bruce Lee on them, man. Yeah, Pat, and, yeah, 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 true. It's quite cool because people can um, choose their own characters and things like that. Yeah, it's and, pretty cool. Yeah, and it's also, it's, and these aren't hand-painted, so it's uh, they do take a while to make. But... Okay, yeah. so how much would something like that be? Um, these, I they are a bit... 250 so you could basically get anything that you wanted put onto a shoe yeah and come to you yeah and say 
I want you to put this onto the shoe. So, I mean, just for want of something really freaky, say you put photographs of your whanau on your feet. Yeah, yeah. So you could photocopy it, yeah. bring yeah. the images to you, and then you could put them on the shoe. Yeah. But if, some, if someone had a favourite book or, like, a comic book or something, then, and they wanted, or they had a favourite character, you know, anything like that, they could, you know, just let us know what it is and we can either source a comic or, you know, get pictures off the internet and print it out on photo paper or, or whatever. And then, and yeah, so you can completely customize whatever you want on there. Yeah. So this is just, so this is kind of just a starting point, hey, because I mean, I'm guessing you could get to a point where you could actually start making your own shoes. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. That would be the next step. Cause at the moment I get these shoes from suppliers and the, the shoes are also included in the price for customising. Oh, right. So you shop for the shoe. Yeah. yeah. Unless someone has their own specific type of shoe that they already have, and then they can yeah. just give it to us, which would just deduct the price of the, the cost of the shoe off that. So it could be cheaper oh, yeah. for people and stuff. If they have a certain shoe that they already want, that they already have, that they want it customised. You know, these are like artworks. Yeah. Is that well, the whole idea? Yeah, yeah that is yeah. the whole idea with um, the clothing is it's real wearable art. And yeah. It's not just your run-of-the-mill stuff. people who have them. Yeah. And, yeah, that's what I enjoy about it is um, being able to create um, artworks on clothing for people with their ideas. So I'm basically, I bring their creations to life yeah. and they, they really love it. Yeah. Creating something so unique that no one else has as well. Mm. Have you guys done any of this for your parents? Um, for, your um, for Christmas, yeah. she made a whole lot of shoes for all the, all the girls in the yeah. family. <laughs> <laughs> How long did that take you? Uh, a whole week I spent making Christmas presents. <laughs> wow, so looking at that shoe there, what size is it? That size 8, so all these shoes are my size just because they so, so you can be the model as well. <laughs> so size 8, how long would something like that take you to do? These would take me about um, about 3 days. Right, yep. and is that working solidly for 8 hours a day? Um, breaks in between. So that's still, that's a lot of work, yeah. yeah. There's a there's a lot of work that goes into yeah. them. Yeah, which um, is why the price can be quite high, sure. because it's, it's viewed as not work. Yeah. 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 There's some others here that are, oh my goodness, those are fantastic. Yeah, so these are like plastic gems. That you've glued onto yeah, on. to the heel of yeah. some wedges. And then covered with cloth. Oh my god, I bet you all the females in your phone would love those. Yeah. They're neat, aren't they? Yeah. So how much would something like that be? These, um, um I'm not sure what the price for these are, but... I'd say because the time it doesn't it doesn't take as long to create these. Are you finding that you've got a market, like with the price that the shoes are? Um, well, that's what I've I've found. I I started with um, selling with 
um, to friends and family. Mm-hmm. And um, when I began, I had to, I the price was too high for them to be able to afford it. But I, they also helped me to build a profile. So it was just um, creating. Um, and I also wasn't making a profit out of it. Right. So, um, yeah, that I began with family and friends and kept the price to what everyone could afford. And I'm now I'm just beginning to put the prices up to what's what I'm going to be able to get a profit out of. Right. And because it's beginning to reach out to people who can okay. afford it and want to buy. So does that, is, that the marketing, is that the marketing plan? Yeah, yeah. It's basic. It's basically started from the beginning. It's been, yeah, it's been really hard to get to yeah. where I am now. We haven't re- we haven't really made much money out of it. Yeah, most of the money we've made has just gone straight back into other, you know, um, supplies and things like that to make more stuff. But yeah, in terms of making a profit, no, we we haven't yeah. yet. And <laughs> but, it's yeah. what you learn is the reality of running your own business is. Um, yeah, just working hard to get there, yeah. and I'm now in the stage where I have to... So I was doing this full-time, and it meant that I got to where I am quicker, but now it's I have to um, get a part-time job to be able to... Subsidize for it to start really feeding do. itself. Yeah. Instead of all my money going into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the reality. Yeah. It? I mean, you started up a business when there's not much money around. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. Yeah. That's the other yeah. thing the recession and all that, you know, people are just sort of starting to, I don't know, earn a bit more nowadays. And, you know, for a long time, people just weren't making money and didn't have yeah money to spend really. So uh, let's hope things look up and, you know, people, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, spend more. <laughs> so tell me, talk me through what the logo means. Um, okay, so the this says Foresight and it's in a um, Pisha Carl, um because t- so a lot of it is... A lot of the style is also the urban street art kind of style. So Pesha is a um, it's a tagging style. Yeah, from Brazil, from Sao Paulo. It's a Pesha is a um, yeah. It's a certain. It's based on Portuguese fonts. So yeah, because it's a Portuguese, they speak Portuguese over there. And um, but yeah, they sort of the guys that do it. It's a type of graffiti where they sort of climb up the faces of you know fourteen story buildings and stuff and do big sort of broad line tags and stuff yeah. like that and I don't know just yeah just the the sort of shapes they used to create their letters is a lot different from sort of American graffiti yeah. and stuff like that so we just thought it was it was kind of cool and different and then Mitty sort of made it a little bit her own as well with the with the rounding off the edges and sort of kind of looks like kudus as well yeah it does yeah and it kind of has an Asian feel to it too yeah so it's adding in um a piece of us really is um, with the mouldy designs yeah and then this was originally a dragon yeah but then i i wanted it to be more new zealand yeah it's um, like a to me yeah and then now it's a tanifa <laughs> and um we've also got this logo which is another one that so that's a um almost like a figure yeah, in a silhouette yeah. of a figure silhouette and shadow yeah, and that's um, a logo that I'm wanting to, because eventually I want to have like a printed range where I want to be focusing on um, uh, being um, multi spirituality, like 
um, telling the story and having meaning coming, but yeah. having an urban feel with it as well. So, um, so that represents like a guardian as well. So we sort of, we put it on every piece of clothing so that you always have your, you know, just representing that you've always got your guardian watching you or, oh, yeah. you know, you've always got your ancestors following you around and helping, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. helping yeah. you on your path forward, you know. Kia ora, Miriama Gray-Smith and Jack Cromie of Foresight Clothing. The music you heard throughout that quartet was from Evil Mule and one of their waiata closes the show this evening. Anaira a Dick Garrett, Mete Fakatoki, Tine Wiki, Aira, He Fakatoki, Rongo Nui Tine. It's a popular one, all right. He Hata Menui, Oteao, He Tangata, He Tangata, He Tangata. What is the greatest treasure in life? It's people, it's people, it's people. Kia ora, Dick Garrett. He'll be back with Ruia Morrison in an upcoming Tiahika episode. Now, Dick is a major league supporter of Māori sport, and Ruia represented New Zealand at Wimbledon for three consecutive years from 1955 to 1958. And in June, they're heading to England for a bit of a reminisce. Next week, Kapahaka is on. Tematatini National Kapahaka Competition kicks off in Rotorua. And there's a number of ways that people will be getting their kapahaka fix. TV, radio, print, Facebook, Twitter. And we'll be checking out just how successful they've been in sustaining an audience. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. He mihi ki ngā kai rā wiki wiki mihini. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu mai te whanua tiahika kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora.